It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering each and every week. We look at sports topics of local interest. We occasionally hit on a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and a segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the Twitters, hit hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick collects the questions. He asks what you ask, and I try to answer to the best of my ability. As always, this is brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick, we are neck deep in basketball season with a crossover into college football uh, championship weekend, if you will. We've got the NFL Heading down the stretch with some big games to talk about and uh, a lot going on, so let's get right to it. Absolutely. Bengals are red hot. We'll talk about them in a second. But first, news broke on Sunday that Cincinnati football coach Luke Fickle would be leaving the Bearcats to take the open job at Wisconsin. He was officially introduced as the Badgers' new head coach on Monday, and Cincinnati is now in the midst of another coaching search. Skinny, first of all, how surprised were you that Luke Fickle decided to leave Cincinnati for Wisconsin and how surprised were you by the timing of this all? Um, the, the timing part didn't bother me. I, I do I, I do wonder if they had won on Friday, if he would have put this off another week, and if Wisconsin would have allowed him to put it off for another week while they played in the AAC championship game, or if that didn't matter at all. So timing, timing never surprises me in college sports anymore because of NIL, because of how quickly the transfer portal shakes down, because of how quickly recruiting takes place. So that part doesn't surprise me when it, when a school has an opening, it's in their best interest to go as quickly as possible. Well, I think um, more so from a timing perspective, I'm looking at it from choosing this year as the year. Um, yeah, no, I, I the, the whole thing did take me by surprise because I never heard his name on that radar. I never considered him, honestly, on that radar. Not that he shouldn't have been. I mean, if they're looking for a, a national top coach to go get, you would certainly want to include him. It just... It just, I just never, it never dawned on my radar, and I don't, I don't know if you saw any lists leading into that job. Um, I saw Lance Leipold's name probably more than I, I saw anybody, him and Jim Leonard, and, and Jim Leonard unfortunately didn't really win enough when he became the interim coach to, to get serious interest for it. So I, I do think for Wisconsin it makes a ton of, ton of sense. I never thought Nebraska made sense because it's not in the kind of the bailiwick of where he recruits, but you're still kind of in the area that Wisconsin's done come into Ohio and gotten guys before. I never saw, thought the SEC made sense for Luke Fickle. I, I do think this job makes sense. It's a, it's a, it's a program that's one big. It's a program that in a given year can, can, you know, compete for the big 10 championship, which, which means something and not that UC couldn't compete for the big 12 title, but I wonder if from a 30,000 foot view, if he didn't look and say, my chances at Wisconsin are far better than my chances at since I've maxed out what I can do here at Cincinnati. No matter how you want to slice it, I think I've maxed it out. And listen, UC came through with money. They came through with money for assistance. He is making more money at Wisconsin. We all know that, but it's not like it's a tenfold increase. And money always does talk. Even a little bit more money a lot of times talks. I I just think for him, it's it's a, it, it, right or wrong, it is a better opportunity to get where he wants to go and win a national championship. Yeah, I think especially with the playoff expanding going right. forward. You're looking at a situation where you can guarantee yourself a chance every single year to play for a Big Ten championship starting immediately. Like Wisconsin yeah. doesn't really have to do anything to their program or their facilities or get quote unquote day one ready to join their conference or anything. Right now, as they stand, they are a team that can win their division in the Big Ten every year. Well, don't forget USC and UCLA will change that dynamic somewhat, right? But yeah, potentially. But yeah, that's I mean, but even still, even with that said, you could still be better than either of those schools right now as things stand. It, yeah, you know, no, I mean, there isn't any not, hurdle you're trying to overcome or get to if you're Wisconsin right now in the Big Ten it, in it, that division. 
and really starting with the and Wisconsin won big at, at times in the in the fifties and sixties, but really then kind of hit a lull till Barry Alvarez came along. But Barry Alvarez, you know, made that into a into a national power starting in the mid nineties. So it's been a national power now, not year in and year out, but on the radar certainly for the last three decades plus. That's that's a that's a lot of history on your side. Yeah, I guess there's a part of it that feels a little bit like the Nebraska thing, though, where they figured out weightlifting and having a bunch of farm boys on steroids and running the football in the 90s before everyone else kind of caught up to that. And since then, it seems like it's been a little bit of a struggle to recruit there and and do that same type of thing. So we'll see how easy it is to revive the program now with Luke Fickle there. I I think for most of these jobs, having the right guy is 80% of the battle at the head coach position. So I think they're moving in the right direction. I think the more interesting part of it from the Cincinnati standpoint is let's face it. You see people were caught off guard because they didn't think he was going to leave. They really believed this time that this guy was not going to leave. No, and I, and I think I was in that camp too, that, it, that, that the one job obviously was Ohio state. Um, and that was and Ohio it. state never wanted him because of that interim year. I don't think and you, Ohio state was ever going to be an option for him. Maybe not, but I'm just saying that that felt like the job he was hoping for one day and anything else was going to, to not really come to fruition. So like I, I said, I never felt like he was an SEC guy. Um, Nebraska never felt right because I still don't think you can resurrect that program. I just don't. Good luck to you, Matt Rule. You're going to have oodles of money to play with um, no matter how this thing shakes out. Um, so that's why it always felt like, all right, they're moving into the big time, at least conference-wise. He's making plenty of money. Family loves it here. Um, and I truly believe they did love it here. Uh, I know the wife loved it here. I'm sure I, Luke, I, Luke loved it here. I, you know, they, I think they love the area. But uh, this is one where... It's hard to begrudge him because it does make a lot of sense for both parties, doesn't it? I mean, it does, but it's also not nearly the most high-profile job that he could have gotten if you're talking about the jobs that have been open in the last few years. So I think there's something more to this, and I think a big part of it might be the fact that he watched his former defensive coordinator as a young guy go and get the Notre Dame job because he essentially passed up on it, and he wanted to play in the college football playoff as Cincinnati's head coach, which is totally understandable. But you're already seeing Marcus Freeman has some success there. You're seeing how much easier it is for him to recruit there. He's already making more money than you. I have to wonder if that Marcus Freeman situation didn't spur a lot of this a little bit after the fact when Luke realized, man, I'm I'm passing up on these opportunities. Well, the the other thing, too, I wonder, and 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 I think it's been talked about a little bit, is in the NIL landscape, did he look at Cincinnati's job and go, we're not going to be able to get enough NIL stuff in the pot to really make a difference. We can do that at Wisconsin. Exactly. That, and that's part of my point. Like you see a guy who was underneath of you who's gone to Notre Dame and you're thinking, oh, okay, we'll see how this goes for you, buddy. Notre Dame's a step up. And yeah, there were some struggles early in the year, but they started figuring things out as the year went on. And he's seeing, well, shoot, he's already got this thing rolling. He can coach. He's a young guy who can recruit and he's going to have it easy recruiting there compared to what we've been doing at UC for the last five plus years. So I, I do wonder if that played a major role in just watching what one of his former underlings is doing at Notre Dame and realizing, man, that could have been me. I, I, I could make, be making more money, could be recruiting much easier to a national program. And it'd probably be just as easy, if not easier to win there as it's going to be to win it. You see going into the big 12. And I wonder if that changed his mindset a little bit and how he's viewing yeah. all of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously something changed his mind. I think it was more than just one thing. Yeah, no, I I think that's probably true. And you also wonder, you know, okay, great, Luke. Yeah, you made the college football playoff last year, but, oh, lost a game or two that we weren't expecting this year? 
we sure this is the, you know, I mean, like you see fans were pretty quick to start turning already at the end of this year. They're, I guess, booing one of the last games. So you, I mean, I think he was obviously already thinking about moving on before that, but might've been a good reminder on the way out of, of how fickle a fan base can be, if you will. No pun intended. Uh, Skinny, how would you feel if you were a UC fan today? Thankful for what he did, pissed that another coach left, uh, excited about the idea of another coaching search and what this could be heading into the Big 12? Where would you be at? Uh, I'd be grateful for what he did for starters. Um, I, I don't think you can be anything but grateful for what he did. I mean, uh, it, 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 it is easy to turn on a coach, and, and we all have to realize that, that a lot of times these guys are not staying for lifetimes. And listen, that's kind of been the way it's gone at UC is, is it, it's hard to fall in love with a coach because you know as soon as he has success, he's probably going to go. And you know what? They've done okay to find replacements other than, honestly, the guy that you thought would be a slam dunk because he was a high-profile coach in Tommy Tuberville. Now, I don't know if I'd be excited about another coaching search because going into the Big 12, you better damn well get this one right or who knows how far you set yourself back. Yeah, I think that's that's the tough part. And I agree with you that he got you to the college football playoff, which I don't know if any UC fan realistically thought they would ever actually have that opportunity prior to getting into a major conference. So you have to be thankful for that. But I do think there is a part of this where UC fans believed him and all the stuff he kept saying the last couple of years about how he was staying and how they were here and his family and how much they loved it, all that stuff. I, you know, to some extent, there a little that, that stuff gets old a little bit. Like the, there's, there's, I, I understand no. you're not going to be honest about yeah, I'm I'm looking at other jobs I want to leave, but I mean he he went out of his way to continuously say that he wasn't looking at other jobs and he was going to be here and they loved it here. I, I I would be okay with fans being a little annoyed by him right now. No, let, let me just be quite frank, people. If you haven't learned this lesson by now, learn it here right now, real fast. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say a bad word and I'm sorry for this. Coaches are full of. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly all they are. Right. The, the, this whole concept, we're building a family. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're, you're building a family for the interim. Yeah, is you're, what building you're building your resume. Always, Correct. Period. It's, listen, it's not about the program or the kids. It never is. It never is. It's about you. And then then you're going to hate this, but it's like you go into the the whole conversation everyone's been having all year about the quarterback. And everyone's like, well, Luke Fickle knows best. He would never do anything that wasn't in UC's best interest long-term. Oh, really? Is that the case? Is that how he felt two weeks ago while him and his family were visiting Wisconsin? He was worried about what the future quarterback situation was? Or was he worried about squeezing out every last win he could this year? Right. So, no, I, you fair. know, that's part of the conversation I get into when we we do all this stuff about – agreeing with everything that a coach does because he's been good in the past. I That's why I, I can't always get on board with that because who knows what's going through his mind right now and who knows what he's playing for in this specific game or this specific season. So I, I don't know. I, I do agree, though, on one thing, and that's there is no such thing as stepping stone jobs, or if there is, then every job is a stepping stone. I talk about this all the time in college basketball. In this day and age, no one is safe. Yes, you'll you'll have your Mark Fuse at Gonzaga or your Jay Wrights at Villanova. Something will happen where there's a perfect situation for the perfect guy and he stays for a decade or two. But for the most part, every job is open to this possibility that the guy might just leave because it's time or because he's tired of 
your fan base or the message has gotten old or there's an issue with the athletic director or someone else just has a more exciting opportunity to offer him. I don't think this is about being a stepping stone job. A, a coach just left USC this or a coach just left Oklahoma to go USC this year. A That's coach right. just left Notre Dame to go to LSU this year. I mean, are those stepping stone programs at this point? If so, then I wouldn't feel too bad about calling UC one. Yeah, no. I mean, if, you know, even in college basketball, is Kentucky a destination job? Yeah, unless the Boston Celtics come calling. Um, Duke, I guess you could argue, was a destination job for Coach K, but he, he flirted with the NBA and, and considered that. So, I mean, there's always there's always something else out there a lot of times for these guys, right? right. That's just it's like that. Kansas was a destination job and Roy Williams left for, for, for North Carolina. North Carolina, right. So, I mean, it's just, there's always something out there that can happen. I just, I don't think like fans that are always saying, why can't we just get a coach that will stay? He stayed for five years in this climate. That's kind of staying. I mean, that's, that's kind of what that looks like. Fans said the same thing when Chris Mack left Xavier. It's like he was here for a decade. That's staying at this point. Like you're not going to find a lot of guys staying longer than that. Skinny. Let me ask you one more question about this. Are there any candidates that have emerged so far that you like? I don't know enough about them. I, I know that the Brian Hartline one's interesting because of his ties to Ohio recruiting. And, you know, the last successful hire was an assistant coach from Ohio State. Um, Willie Fritz from Tulane's interesting just because he was in that league. But it, it was that just a, a kind of a one hit wonder, kind of like Rich Rodriguez, who went from Tulane to West Virginia. And it felt like, oh, OK, he's gone through this process and there he is at Michigan and giant failure. So, no, I know. I, I, and that's where I. I I, I hope they make the right hire because I don't think this is going to be all that easy. I just don't. Most of the names that I see do very little for me. If I'm a UC fan in terms of getting excited, I think the two names that I'm most intrigued by right now that I continue to see come up. One would be Deion Sanders. Just oh, it's tremendously. It's it really. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Rick, I, 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 Cause I didn't hear the second name. Deion is really intriguing. Who was the second name you said? I'm sorry. I didn't say it yet. I was just saying Dion. It, it's just fascinating. Like you were it saying, I, I don't know if it'll work at all. It could be a complete disaster for all I know, the, but the, the, the it would thing, make a big splash and you'd be talked about like crazy. And you'd definitely get recruits as a result. No question. The one thing I got to give Dion credit for is him taking that job at a SWAC school to cut his teeth as a head coach because it was, you know, he was not going to get an opportunity as a first time head coach right out of the bat somewhere big. And by God, if he hasn't proven himself, I thought that was going to be a gimmick when he went down there. I did, I did not too. think he would realize too. the lack of resources he had there, how difficult it was going to be to keep that thing organized and ran well. And as soon as he got down there within like, what was it? The first week they, they played a game or a scrimmage or something. And he was, wanting to have people arrested that worked there because they stole his jewelry out of his office or something. And then it was put back. I mean, there was all types of weird stuff going on right away. And I'm going, there's no way this is going to work. He's not in it for the long haul, but lo and behold, he built that program into something. He did it the right way. They play real football. It's I mean, granted, they are just more talented than the teams they're playing for the most part because of his son and Travis Hunter, who was the number one player in the country that he recruited. And, and sure, some other but that's recruiting. They but, but that's, that's recruiting. Right. That's a big part of the gig, first of all. But second of all, if you watch them, though, it's not like it's a, a ragtag group out there. No. You know, playing. Uh, it, it's not like watching one of those ESPN high school games where they bring in Bishop Sycamore and you're like, what the hell is this ragtag right. group in mismatched uniforms? It's like, no, they're they're doing things the right way. He's building a program there. And again, is that the same level as the Big 12? No. And are there concerns if you hire Deion Sanders? I would certainly have some. But 
It's an incredibly interesting hire, and he's definitely proving that he can recruit and he will be a splash. The other name that I do like is is the one you brought up, and that's Brian Hartline, because I think he kind of fits the profile of what you're looking for, and he would give me that excitement of, with a guy like him, we might be able to go land top talent in this region right away. I guess my question would be, and maybe this is what helped help Luke kind of hit the ground running a little bit, was not only you know, being it was that interim year where you, where you had to do head coach things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think there's something to that, especially, especially at a program that's now going into a power five conference. I, I think that that does matter some. I think it does too. Do you think that Dion's experience running a program, do you think that helps? I, I do. Um, but then you're suddenly in a more high profile. And listen, it, it, this is where you're going to come to. You're probably not on a week in, week out basis. Even if you do a good job recruiting, you see, you're not going to have significantly better talent than Oklahoma State or Kansas State right. or, or West Virginia or you name, just go right down the laundry list. Um, so then you're going to have to, to be able to, you know, you're probably going to have to deal with NIL a lot more than you're going to have to deal with at Jackson state. I mean, there, there are other things you're going to have to deal with here. And so that's where I think this is a really, really difficult hire. I do. And I, and you know, I, I say you can't screw it up, but it's, it, it may be easy to screw up even if you think you're doing it right. Yeah. I also think if you hire a Dion, you are eliminating some of the other factors that you would normally focus on with the head coach. Like when you're saying uh, running your own program for the first time, some of that is, making PR missteps, talking out of turn, you know, saying things that are going to get you unnecessary attention. With Dion, that's all out the window. He's going to do that type of stuff. He's going right. to say wild things that you don't necessarily want him to. He's not going to act like your traditional head coach. But boy, is he going to get you exposure. Right. So that's like, that's one of the weird things about hiring Dion is you kind of have to change your mindset about how you view the head coach role, what he's going to look like in public what he's going to do on his own social media and stuff like that. Cause he's got this deal with Barstool and he's, he's still making content with them and all that type of stuff. So it, it is an interesting thought. If you're going to go the Deion Sanders route, you kind of have to change where your mindset's at on a lot of that other stuff with Brian Hartline. I think you're more in that the Luke fickle mold. You're, you're trying to find a guy who understands the region who fits. And I think that matters. Like I, I, I've heard some things about some of the other guys, like like a Tom Herman, for instance, where I'm just like, man, that seems like the anti Luke. Yeah, I went meh. Right, I, I heard the net, I heard the Tom Herman one too, and I went meh. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see who else emerges. I'm sure there's a name or two out there that's going to be a serious name that we haven't even heard yet. Uh, but right now, I would say those are the two guys well, that intrigue me, and everyone else just kind of is like, eh. But I would also say this: you better get moving. Oh, I I'm, I would think it's going to be done by this weekend, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would think. So. I would hope so. All right, real quick, let's get to some of these other college football topics before we move on here. Of course, there was the Michigan 45-23 to win over Ohio State this weekend. Before we get into the implications on the college football playoff, Skinny, how much of the Ryan Day criticism from Ohio State fans is justified in your opinion? It's not fair for those that want him fired, and there's a faction that doesn't, <laughs> that's there. That, that part is ludicrous. But I think the criticism is more than warranted. You've now gotten your teeth kicked in the last two times you've played them. Um, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal because it's put Michigan in the playoffs um, and, and at the moment put you out of the playoffs. Last year, it put them in the playoffs. Um, and so now it feels like Jim Harbaugh really has this thing rolling where you're kind of stuck in neutral a little bit that you put up fun, fun time numbers against against the rest of the crap opponents. But when you play these guys, they physically beat you in the trenches and you better fix that between now and next year. Well, I think there's two things there. One, watching 
the Michigan Ohio State game, especially this year. Last year, when you had the Hutchinson kid on the edge, I think there was more of an argument of, oh, is Michigan just actually as talented as Ohio State this year? Do they they actually just have some dudes on their side that are even in this thing up? This year, they're without their top running back. Their quarterback is a guy that everybody's been ridiculing all year because he can't pass. Ohio State has a top draft pick at quarterback. They have a top draft pick a year from now at wide receiver and Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, they were loaded. They were the more talented team. They were the healthier team. And it's impossible to watch that and not think they got out coached in that game. So I think that would be the first part of it is it does feel very much like they have just been out coached by Michigan, especially this year and probably each of the last two years. But the other part of this is I think all of this tells me more about what's happened with Michigan and what Jim Harbaugh has done with their program than it does Ohio State, because it's not like Penn State's caught up to Ohio State. It's not like anyone else. I mean, they're still blowing out everybody else in the conference. So I would be more worried about Ryan Day and Ohio State if there were other slippages and they were losing another game in the conference that they're not supposed to lose. But they're not. They're blowing most of those teams out for the most part, and they're just struggling with Michigan. The issue for them, for Ryan Day is there's only two things that really matter if you're the coach at Ohio State, and that's beating Michigan and getting to a college football playoff where you have a chance to win a national championship. And losing to Michigan every year is going to affect the latter. So you got to figure that part out or you're not going to have a job much longer. No, ask John Cooper. Yeah, and it's the only thing that matters. And you know that going in. That's the thing about the Ohio State job. It may suck. It may be unfair to be like, yeah, I've only lost – three or four games in my entire tenure here, but you know that going in. And honestly, I mean, does, does he treat Michigan? I don't know. I'm not around the program enough to know. I don't cover them. Um, you know, does he treat the Michigan week differently? Are players more uptight in that week? I mean, you remember the whole mantra with Marvin and Steelers week. I mean, it, you could have, you, you couldn't have driven a nail up his ass with a two by four. I mean, he was tighter than a, you can imagine. And I thought it made his whole team tight every time they played the Steelers. Yeah. And uh, obviously I'm not around the program. I don't have sources around the program to know if that's the case or not. I don't, I don't hear that as much about Ohio State, but I think it'd be something that's hard to tell. And uh, I mean, it it doesn't really matter what the reasoning for it is. No, you got to fix it. Whatever you it is, you got to fix get, it. Get it right. Yeah, right. Okay, let me ask you this now. Is Ohio State in the college football playoff with a TCU or USC loss this weekend? I think so. I, I, I don't l- – listen, just – Eyeball test, Ohio State is a better – if Ohio State and TCU played tomorrow, Ohio State would be close to a double-digit favorite. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. I mean, I would say at least two touchdowns. I think that's a pretty simple process at that point. So, yes. So, I do think Ohio State has a chance at redemption here because I do think one of those two things are going to happen. I'm here for the chaos if both of those things happen. If both TC, if both TCU I mean, do you put USC in Ohio State and Bama at that point, or do you still think Bama with two losses in a week – Strength of schedule is not enough to get in over a TCU with one loss. The thing for me, though, is for USC, it would be it would be two losses to the same team, right? And they're good. Utah's in the whatever. Where are they ranked? Tenth or eleventh or twelfth in, in the college football playoff rankings? So yeah. They're not awful, but and, and I love them. I mean, and that's why I'd only say TCU really would stay ahead, would have the chance to stay ahead because USC yeah, is but, definitely dropping behind both of those teams if they lose. Ohio yeah, State, and I, Bama. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I mean, maybe, maybe if it's a USC and a TCU loss, definitively Ohio State's in, and then TCU's a one-loss team in at that point because USC has the two losses, and so does Bama. I could see that. I think that's a good possibility. It was very important for Ohio State that they dropped to be number fifth. five. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, and that's the thing. I, I've read scenario of you know what. Bottom line is, 
Ohio State's in the perfect spot because they are going to get one of those four spots. I would guarantee it if if one of the two things we just talked about happens. I would guarantee it. I think you're right. And I, I think that's I think it should be the case too, because quite honestly, too. right now, the only team that's in the college football playoff that I think is a team worthy of being there is Georgia. Like Michigan earned it this earned year, it. but I don't really believe they can compete with Georgia in my mind. I, I don't know why that is. I maybe I'm totally wrong in thinking that. But I feel like Ohio State can contend with Georgia. I don't really know if Michigan can. Yeah, and I and I think the other thing that would really really make it chaotic, both of these teams would stay in. It's just a matter of how the deck would be shuffled is if somehow Georgia loses to LSU and Michigan loses in the Big Ten championship game. I don't think either one of those scenarios happens, but that you talk about complete and utter chaos. That's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that possibility, but that would be funny to see Georgia not in the number one spot. When we go to the actual playoffs, or, or, or would they still be if all those things happened? Maybe I don't. That's an interesting question. I really don't know what they'd do with Georgia if they lose this weekend. I don't I, think I hadn't really do, considered them losing. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they do, mind you. But we'll find out. All right, uh, one one more game to talk about here. Kentucky beat Louisville twenty six thirteen. I don't think that came as much as of a surprise. It kind of tells you the difference between the SEC and the ACC. Uh, but Mark Stoops did turn around and fires offensive coordinator Rich Scangarello after only one season following this game. Did you have any thoughts on the decision to get rid of the offensive coordinator? At it, it, w- it was inevitable as the season progressed. I mean, they were just they were miserable offensively. They, I mean, got the and I know he played hurt, and I know that is a legitimate excuse because Will Levis, especially immobile Will Levis, really I think factored. He was unable to make unscripted plays, which I think he's really good at. I think he's a really good runner and. The injuries really hampered that. But there were games where, you know, you could have run Chris Rodriguez 30 times and won the football. I mean, you could have done that against Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, you scored 21 points against Van. That that, that was the final nail there. You scored 21 against a god-awful Vanderbilt defense. Um, and Will was back pretty healthy for that game. Not fully, you know, fully mobile, but certainly good enough. Um, you know, he rolled he rolled players under the bus publicly, and he's probably right. Freshman receivers probably did run wrong routes a lot of times, and those were probably things that did lead to sacks, but you don't need to do that. Um, it was inevitable. Thank goodness he did it. Yeah, I, it just felt like they were playing to keep the game close all yes. year. They were so and some of that's overly on Stoops. conservative. Yeah, some of that's on Stoops, in my opinion, though. I think so, too. I, I think, and let's be honest, if nothing else, Stoops hiring a guy like this is part of what's wrong with him and his blind spot. He is partial to the conservative. He likes a guy that thinks this way and and plays this style. So I think that's what opened him up to ending up with a guy like this. Fortunately for him and UK fans, I think he recognized it quickly enough here and got rid of him after one year. Yeah. And and listen, I know it probably in the grand scheme, it doesn't mean much, but, but I do think that last win uh, was a, was a nice positive that listen, you've had such an awful finish to the season. You played your guts out against Georgia really had a chance to maybe steal a win there if a couple things had gone differently. You could have easily gone into Louisville week and go, let's just get through this damn thing and be done with it. Instead, the players fought. Um, they outplayed Louisville by a mile. It certainly helped to get three turnovers. I, I thought that that did say a lot. Maybe, maybe it says more about the players, but I, I that, that, was a, that was a good way to end the season. Uh, you yeah. know, the bowl game, obviously, is the end of the season. But this was, I mean, hell, you lose that Louisville game, you probably finish six and seven, and that would have been just an, an ugly way to finish this season. Yeah, good for them to act like it mattered to them, yeah. quite honestly. All right, let's switch gears here to the NFL side of things. The Bengals picked up a big road win at Tennessee on Sunday, 20-16. to They've now won three in a row, seven of the last nine. Ian Rappaport also reported that Jamar Chase is expected to be back for this Sunday's game against the Chiefs. 
Skinny, have you seen any, have you guys uncovered anything more about the Jamar Chase situation since that report from Rappaport? No, and I, I think he's throwing, it's it's an easy thing for somebody to report that because it's going to happen. I mean, last week was the ramp up week. Unless he has some kind of major setback this week, he's going to play. And I, th- I I think we talked about this on the, on the podcast on Sunday, Rick, that was the plan all along. He was never going to play in that Tennessee game. All last week was, was a ruse to make Tennessee think. The other part was to getting back out there acclimated. And I, I, and I did think that Zach had a fairly honest answer about this on Monday where he said, hey, we're still going to take it through the week, et cetera. But he did talk about, you know, when you put a guy on IR, which is kind of what Jamar was, he missed four games, which IR's four games. They tried to, they were hoping to get him back. It didn't work out, which is why they didn't put him on IR. When you do put a guy on IR, you then, when you activate him, usually he doesn't go right to the roster. You open up the 21-day window for him to practice. And for most players, it usually takes one full week of practice to kind of get reacclimated. That was Jamar's last week. And then lo and behold, here we are. So I, I think that was, that, that's been the plan all along, to be quite frank. Fair enough. Skinny, the Bengals take on the Chiefs on Sunday. It should be a fantastic game. And I I wanted to ask you, it feels like this year, because of the way the Bengals started and coming off of last year with the trip to the Super Bowl, it's been a lot of, oh, no, they stink again. They're they're not up to par. They're not who they were last year. And then you kind of went through the middle part of the season where it's like, all right. Can does Zach stink or can he get this thing back on track or what's the deal? Do they need a new coaching staff? They have the talent clearly. And then all of a sudden now they've got this thing rolling again. They're one of the hottest teams in the NFL. Are we to the point if they win this game on Sunday and take down the chiefs where they should be taken seriously as a super bowl contender again? I've, I've already, I've already made that page. I'm already on that page. I think they are. Um, I think, I think they've shown that. I think they showed a lot of that on Sunday where you got you got a little piece from every piece of your football team. Your defense made big stops when it had to. Your special teams had some penalties, but you also had your your, your kicker make technically three kicks. One got taken off the board because of that penalty at the end of the game. But your, your, your punter flipped the field a couple of times. And your offense, after that first quarter, really got rolling. Um, you know, they had the ball twice in the fourth quarter, and this to me matters. If you're a playoff team, had it twice in the fourth quarter, Rick. They scored a touchdown. They held Tennessee to a field goal after a long drive, which your defense showed its medal. And then you turn around and you basically drove out the clock. That was the whole fourth quarter. That was it. Three total possessions between the two teams. And I think one of the quiet narratives about this team that is a big deal that everyone was waiting for all season long is the offensive line is starting to play well. Yep. They're starting to look like the unit that everyone wanted them to look like right when the season started. And they were a bunch of new guys trying to figure it out together and mesh and, and build some chemistry. That chemistry is starting to be built and they're starting to figure out where they're supposed to be. And I think part of it has been play calling, too. I think they've fixed some of the things in the run game that that work better for this group and and plays better with some of the passing stuff they're doing. And it's complementing each other better overall. But. I mean, I, you know, you've heard Joe Burrow talk about it, and obviously you guys have written some stuff about it. I'm not acting like no one's discussing the offensive line, but it's, it kind of went from being a problem, and we talked about it every week, to now that they're playing better, people just aren't noticing them because the issues aren't there. But it's made a big difference in how this offense has got things rolling. And, and listen, I'm saying all these nice things, and, and I'm like I said, I'm on that that this team can make certainly a Super Bowl run again for sure, and they could lose to Kansas City, and it won't change my opinion of it. It really won't. I, I think this is a really good football team. Um, you know, you look at the last – I mean, even look at the first two games. You lose on a, on a fluky 
thing to your long snapper getting hurt. And then, um, you know, Dallas did some things defensively that did get you. And we turn out Dallas ends up being a pretty damn good team after all. And, our, and right now the best defense in the NFL. Um, since then, you're 7-2 and two with a, a last-second loss at Baltimore. No shame in that. And you did have an ugly moment in Cleveland. That was an ugly loss. I guarantee you, go down every NFL team during the season, there's going to be a loss where you go, how the hell did that happen? Well, it's right. the league, man. It just happens. And to their credit, since that loss, it does look like everything's been figured out. Yeah, they have this thing rolling. And they've also gotten healthier all of a sudden over the last few weeks. I mean, we're talking about the Jamar Chase stuff, but getting DJ Reader back on Huge. the front of that defense has made a big difference. And you saw that against the Titans when you're stopping that running attack the way that they did. Having DJ Reader back is a big part of that. And you're not going to get Shadobi Awuzie, which is a huge loss, but almost everyone else, it feels like, is either back now or is going to be back. Well, it, it, along those lines, uh, with Joe Mixon likely back this week, coming out of concussion protocol, and Jamar Chase coming back this week, and you just mentioned it, they will have on the field, Rick, 21 of their projected 22 starters when the season began. In week 12 of an NFL season? It's not easy to do that. I mean, no, really. And listen, there I, are I'm, very I'm, few teams that are that fortunate. Yeah, and I'm not here to tell you Cheeto's not a big loss. He is and has been, uh, for sure. I mean, especially in a game like this, of all things. But still, 21 of your 22 are going to be on the field? That's a pretty good place to be. Especially coming off last year, where you had the right? injury luck you had last year. I mean, it really could have been a disaster this year if things cut up. And they did, to some extent, through the middle portion of the season, but that's the game of football. You're going to have injuries, and they were able to overcome those for the time being and, and keep themselves on track to, to still be in position at the end of the year here and have a chance to make the playoffs, and, and they've really done well. So I was wondering where you were at in terms of thinking about this team as a Super Bowl contender, and it sounds like you don't even need to see this week. You don't even need the win against the Chiefs. It would be nice, but you're already there. I am. I, I really, truly am. And listen, this it's going to be a tough ride over the last six weeks, but I think this team is more than capable of grinding out the wins necessary to maybe even win the AFC North and at the very least be a wild card team. And that's all you want. Just get in. Be nicer to get a higher seed. That's what you're also playing for. Um, but listen, the 0-2 start puts you behind the eight ball a little bit. And um, I, I get the confidence was shaken then because the offensive line looks so bad and all those things. But watching this team over the last handful of games, I'm, I'm I'm already there, and 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 that that that's what kind of that's that's life. Prove it to me. Well, they've proven it. Anything else here on the Bengals front that have come out this week when you've been down at Paycor Stadium covering the team? Yeah, no. The only other thing I would say is is you talked about you know getting healthier now, but but let's let's not forget about how the depth showed itself too. I mean, when 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 DJ Reader was out. Um, Jay Tufele, guys like that stepped in and, and played well in their place. Um, you know, Samaj P. Ryan has just been terrific the last two weeks in place of Joe Mixon to the point where I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a little bit more of a workload than he would normally have as a backup running back. And part of that may be because Mixon's coming off protocol, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. And what about Trent Irwin? I mean, Dude made a, had a had a touchdown catch, a terrific touchdown catch in Pittsburgh that turned out to be a big one. And that catch on on Sunday, I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out how the son of a gun caught that thing to keep a drive alive that lo and behold, in the next play was a touchdown pass to T. Higgins that ended up being the game winner. So how big was Trent Irwin's catch in, in, in all? It was huge. It was. As far as the P. Ryan Mixon thing, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to I have running backs with rested legs or fresh legs going into the playoffs. That seems like an, an 
advantage, especially when you think back to like, I know he was injured last year, but the Titans seemed like they were running on fumes by the time they got to the playoffs last year with that running attack and, and Derek Henry, again, who was injured and coming back from an injury when they played the Bengals. Right. But I think, you know, having fresh legs for your running backs, isn't the worst idea in the world in the playoffs. No, I, I, I've gotten some people that have reached out to me and said, you know, P Ryan's proven that he's better than Mixon. Are we, we're only two games removed from the dude scoring five touchdowns a game. Are we not? <laughs> I just forgot about that minor detail. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I, I like P. Ryan, by the way. He's been great. But Absolutely. I'm, I'm not here to tell you. I, 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 I don't think – I think Samaje's done exactly what you'd like for your backup both. running back to step in and give you some good, good, good carries and good touches, and he's done exactly that. Yeah. You can play on both. Right. Uh, all right. Let's switch gears here to the college basketball side of things before we get to our betting picks or really just one pick this week. That's a good point. <laughs> Uh, Xavier went one and two at the PK 85 with a 90, 83 win over Florida. And then back-to-back losses to Duke 71, 64 and Gonzaga 88, 84 skinny. How would you feel about the way the season is shaping up? If you're a Xavier fan right now, you have played Indiana, you've played Florida, you've played Duke, you've played Gonzaga, all these tough games. The only win you have is a win over Florida who doesn't project to be a great team necessarily this year. Where would you be at right now? I mean, they've played these teams tough, but they don't have wins to show for them necessarily. Right. So that's the thing. I, I, I'd feel really good because you've proven you can compete with an Indiana, which is a top 10 team, a Gonzaga, which is a top arguably five team, with a Duke, which is probably a top 15 to 20 team, maybe even top 10 when all said and done. You've proven, hell, you competed against Duke when your two bigs combined to go, what, two of 20? Yeah. From the floor? So whatever it was, it was an ugly number. The, the number was crazy. So I I feel good about that, except for the problem of this. There are three really good losses, but they're also losses. So that doesn't exactly boost the resume as much as you'd like it to. And I don't know how much the Florida win is going to be a big win by the end of the year. It's certainly a good win. But I, I you know, I look at the Big East now and, and you know, Creighton's Creighton's good. Um, uh, who am I? Mis- UConn. Yeah, UConn's really good. They're 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 superb. And then I think Xavier probably falls right after that, which I means right. I, I I yeah, St. John's is off to a good start too. But um, I think in Ken Palm, I think they're third in the league at the moment, um, thirty two overall, third in the league. If I saw maybe fourth behind the teams I just mentioned. Um, but yeah, I, I I feel really good going in the Big East. I just don't know if this is the year where you're going to be able to steal some resume building wins in the Big East. Is Nova going to be a resume building win? Not off the start, they're off to. So I, I feel really good because I watched them compete against the best, but at the same time, it's you still lost to them, and that's what kind of that gets kind of sucks. It makes yeah. I will say this: it makes the West Virginia game pretty damn big. It really feels that way, and you know the the whole must win tag at this time of the year doesn't really make any sense. But oh, cool. if you're talking about building a non conference resume, this is your last surefire shot to get one of those games. And by the way it's not a guarantee that that's going to be a quad one game because they have to be a top 30 team at the end of the year for right. that to be a quad one game with being at home. I'm not convinced West Virginia is a top 30 team right now. I think they're solid, but top 30, they're probably borderline. And uh, when you look at Cincinnati, yeah, that game's at UC, but is Cincinnati a top 75 team in the net? No, probably I don't not. know. So you might not have any more quad one non-conference games left on your schedule. Now, the West Virginia game is still a big win. You want to get that one, especially being at home, if nothing else, just to feel better about your record. But yeah, I mean, you're in a situation now where, yes, you've played pretty well. It seems like things are moving in the right direction, and you may feel great about where Sean Miller is taking this thing, but you may also go into Big East play looking for your first quad one win still. 
Yeah, the Duke and Indiana losses are the ones that are disappointing. Indiana because it was at home. Duke especially, though, because Duke didn't play well against you. You had your toe-to-toe with all these. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah, like I said, I mean, your two bigs just couldn't score. Yeah, the, the, the do, yeah, exactly right. I mean, if you play even an average performance or Jack Nungy is just capable of making a layup in that game, you beat Duke. They just, Duke didn't really show up. And I think that was the frustrating part of that game is that's the one you could have and probably should have had. And you just laid an egg at the same time as they did. And then who would they have played in the championship game if they beat? Was that, did Purdue win that side? I think that's right. Yeah. I think, yeah, okay, Purdue ended I, up winning on that side. So you yeah, would have played Purdue, I, I, which yeah, there's no advantage there over Gonzaga in terms of strength of schedule. No, right, 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 right. Yeah, no, right. I was just trying to figure that out off the top of my Yeah, and I don't think they were going to beat Purdue, but that went over. The, the the Duke game is such a big swing game in a lot of ways. Yeah, it it, it was. And, and again, it was the one that Duke wasn't good. Like, Duke hasn't figured things out yet on their side, and they played poorly in that game. So you really had an opportunity there, and it just – Unfortunately, Xavier picked the same exact day to have their worst performance. Right, right. All right. Kentucky struggled for 25 to 30 minutes with Bellarmine on Tuesday night before winning 60 to 41. The Wildcats will play Michigan and London on Sunday. Uh, We're talking about that Xavier West Virginia game and how big that one feels. This Kentucky Michigan game to me feels like it's going to decide a lot about the way the rest of the season is perceived by fans. If they lose this one, you're not getting the fan base back, period. No, If you win, then I think people look at it as you can salvage the non-conference with a 2-2 and record in quad one games if you beat UCLA now, and you can name the score against Louisville this year, and all of a sudden there's the the hope that things can turn around for your non-conference schedule heading into SEC and and all is not lost. And they still have Kansas in, in, in January. True. Yeah. But, but yeah, but, but, but you're the bulk of your knockout. You're right. But Rick, I, I've mentioned this too. I mean, you could wake up the morning after the UCLA game and be six and four. That would be ugly. I mean, it's a legitimate possibility though. It is. Um, and that, that does make this Michigan game a huge, huge game because the fan base is already teetering big time um, and, and teetering to the other side of it to the, to the point where you are, you're starting to lose them after wins. Because and, and, I, it, it feels like it's deja vu all over again every time you watch this team play. Yeah, and that's the, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is it, it's not normally this time of year you hear that type of thing. You'd say, "Ah, uh, UK fans being crazy, UK fans." Correct. But in this case, I I kind of get where they're coming from. It's just getting old seeing the same BS offensive performance game after game, where it seems like they can't run anything, they can't get the offense going, they can't make a shot from the outside, and then Cal says the same goofy things after games like, oh, I, I forgot to play Jacob Toppin more, or I why don't you guys start cheering more for him and I'll remember to put him back in the game. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I think he was talking about I think he's talking about Livingston in this game that he forgot Livingston and one of the fans to chant his name to put him who do you not have a cadre of assistant coaches who might give that suggestion to you on occasion too? Yeah, well, and it's like, you know, sometimes he does these things and it's kind of, oh, that's cute. It's Cal being Cal or whatever. But like, this is not the first time he said something like this. Are you being serious? Like, you really are forgetting to put guys into the game? Or do you think this is a funny thing that is endearing to fans? Because I promise you it's not. They're tired of hearing it. They don't want to hear you say that again. Don't forget the tweaks coming at some point. Camp Cal's coming. They need Camp Cal, honestly, at this point. They need the tweak. No, what I would tell you is they don't need Cal anymore. I, I think there's a lot of UK fans starting to feel. I'm telling you right now, if they lose this Michigan game, oh, that's all you're going to hear the rest I of the season. You're I not getting them I, back. 
No, you're not. Honestly, you're not getting them back. I mean, you'd have to literally go on some crazy run in the SEC to do it. I mean, you really would. It'll take a couple months before they'll forget about it. Correct. And then all you're doing as a fan is sitting there hoping you don't implode again in March. Yep. No, I mean, I really this this game and it's in London, so it's going to be goofy. It's a it's an important game for the narrative surrounding I, I, this UK team the rest of the way. It's funny. I think I read that that game in London is the same time as England's playing in the World Cup. Oh my god! I know. I think that I seems that. like not a great idea. No, and if that's the case, I mean, can you imagine? You'll see three thousand fans maybe in this for this for a game. I hopefully not. I would. Well, there'll probably be. Uh, 10,000 UK fans that make. Oh, the trip I don't think I don't think so, my friend. I don't I, think he's got him on his side. This ain't a trip to Maui, man. This is a trip to, to dreary England on a cold, cold November day. Fair point. Fair point. Or cold uh, December but, day, I guess. Uh, you know, the in terms of being in England on that day, the UK fans and players will be in the safest place in the country at that point. I mean, because no one's going to care about a college basketball game in England. If the that's World a good Cup's point. That's a good point. Uh, one more thing that we got to mention on the college basketball side of thing, not things, not a lot to say about it, but Louisville dropped another one. They're 0-7. They lost to Maryland 79-54 on Tuesday night. They're now 0-7 against the spread, Skinny. Yeah, that's they're 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 not good. Um, I mean, I, I'll give you see this. At least you you knocked them out in the seventh place game of the Maui. That 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 had to happen. If you wanted to to kind of keep your team together a little bit. You can't lose to Louisville because they are literally, they're, they're literally not winning more, more games and you can count fingers on a hand. They're just not. Yeah. It's one thing to see that Owen seven, but to also know that they are Owen seven against the spread. I mean, each time they put up a, a bigger point spread and you're thinking, okay, they'll be able to cover this one at least. Nope. No chance. I, I don't grind out college basketball. If I, if I go down to the book, it's usually to cash a football ticket. And then if it's a basketball night, I'll make a parlay or two to and, and make a single better two to play. So I didn't, I, but I do look at lines every day. They were a 12 and a half point underdog at home to Maryland last night. I probably, it probably would have suckered me into playing it thinking, okay, you're back home. That's a lot. It's not a lot. They're just, they're so bad. They're so, so bad. bad. That's, I, I don't think people believe it. They're, they're either, they haven't watched them yet and they're just seeing the scores and then they think, oh, at some point or, you know, this talent will figure it. No, there's no talent. They're not any good. They, they have walk-ons playing that are legit walk-ons that should not be playing high major basketball, period, at any point for anyone. That's just who they are. I'm telling you, if it's worth going to to bet on them if you care about that type of thing. If if you bet college basketball games, finding out Louisville's schedule and going to bet on against them is is worth it. <laughs> like I said, I would have gotten suckered in last night by that number. I really would have. And I've watched Louisville play. Don't I, I mean, I watched the whole UC game. I watched a couple other games in Maui, and I still thought that was a big number. They and are it wasn't. so bad. The, Speaking and, of the flip side, on any the flip high side major that, team, they are capable of losing by 20. On the flip side of that, folks, I, I would tell you this. Whoever Houston plays, and even if it's a rum-dum team they're giving 30-something to, take them. They're, they just bury people. Yeah, they are a joke. They are the toughest team in college basketball, and there is not a close second. No, and, and the reason why, I mean, I have not looked at their Ken Palm. They they have to – it wouldn't shock me if they're not number one in both offense and defense. That's the hey. thing for them. They bury you on defense, and they're so damn efficient on offense that all of a sudden you look up and they're up 16 before you bat an eye. Yeah, they are second in defensive efficiency. They're 18th in offense, which – Okay, is that surprised it, me a little bit. Yeah, but, but I mean, this that's the metrics we always talk about for a Final Four team, being top 20 in both. 
and if you're if you're elite in one it's even better they are number two in defense and they're top 20 in in offense too which is exactly what you're looking for for a final four team all right skinny let's get into our betting segment where i went four and four last week you went three and five which kind of seems to be the trend we've been on for a while now uh i'm 47 45 and one overall you are 43 49 and one overall but both of our favorite bets missed last week. Uh, unfortunately, it cost me even more to get on your favorite bet because I really liked that Tennessee Vanderbilt game. I was in on yours and Herb Street's idea that Tennessee was imploding and Vanderbilt was going to keep it within two touchdowns, and they lost fifty-six to nothing. So <laughs> that did not work out well for me. Yeah, trust trust me. I hit them on a parlay to close one out. Getting, I actually bet them up to fifteen and a half and felt real good about that number for about forty-five minutes. I was all into it. I thought it was a great pick. I, I took them straight up too. I sprinkled on them winning straight up at plus 400 and uh, it it never came to fruition. But the only game we have this week is the Bengals at Sunday, 425 at home against the Chiefs. They are a home dog in this game. The Chiefs are a two point favorite. The total is 52. Skinny, what do you say about the Bengals and Chiefs? I, I think the over, I, I love the over, even though it's a high number at 52. I just think they're they're just two really good offenses. Um, and, and when you get in some of that, you, you, get, you get in shootout mode. I think this has shootout mode written all over it. Um, I, I'm going to go, Bengals have won the last two in close fashion, so let's make this close fashion as well. Bengals 34, Chiefs 31. On, on, on once again, a last second field goal by Evan McPherson, just because that seems how this is going to play itself out. All right. So you've got the Bengals winning straight up and the overhitting Bengals and over is the play for you, Skinny. I like the Bengals to win this straight up, too. I've got it just below the number, though. I'm going to go 27, 24. Bengals win by three, and it stays just under that total of 52. So. Little separation there for us. We're both on the Bengals. You've got the over. I'm on the under. And that is the only bet that we have this week. No, well, I got a bet. I got a best bet. Well, yeah, I'm talking about for our typical games, though. There are no, <laughs> yes. no college teams still playing this week in championship week for us. So uh, it's just the Bengals game. Lay your best bet on me, Skinner. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna take Kansas State up to three and a half. It's two and a half is the number. They're an underdog. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the juice and take them up to three and a half. They had TCU buried the first time they played. And listen, that's not an excuse. They they pissed away a 28-10 first half lead and ended up losing 38-28. But they also were good enough to build a a, a that that lead as well. Their offense right now is absolutely humming. Um and and uh I just I, I think it's it's a very t- for TCU, man, this feels like it's winner in and that they, and they've been great at finding ways to win games this year and kudos to them. They're kind of the UC of this year even though they're in a big conference. Um, and, and they deserve all the credit in the world for what they've done. But boy, so much pressure on this game. K-State knows it was good enough for a half plus and maybe thought, hey, we completely, we are way better. We just completely blew that game. I think Kansas State wins this game outright by a touchdown. All right. Um, my best bet, I'm going Monday night football. Buccaneers at home, minus four over the Saints. That's a pretty good one too, you know. And I, Tampa's terrible, mind you, but New Orleans out outdoors and on the, the road. Saints are terrible. This might be the only game left that I would consider taking the Bucks. That's a, I like that play, dude. You're right. I kind of like that that you talk talk that. I'll have to look into that one. I mean, All New right. Orleans was so bad on offense against Frisco, so bad. They stink. I mean, the Bucks 
I, I don't even know if you call it desperate at this point. I don't even know if they even care anymore, but they, in theory, they should be desperate for a win. So we'll go with that. Well, I mean, honestly, if they lose, which I don't think they do lose this game, but, but if they lose, they may be tied it for first at five and seven in that division. Good Lord. It's hard to, hard to believe considering what we were saying before the season started. No doubt. All right. Ask skinny, anything skinny. How much of the world cup have you watched? Uh, people are going to laugh at this. Mind you, I watched a little bit cause we were at Bengals um, for the draw with Wales. Uh, we were in the locker room for, for mo- most of the first half. And then we had it on in the, in the uh, work center where we all work um, for the second half. But I did watch literally every minute of the England game. It was the middle of yesterday afternoon. Tuesday's kind of, I don't, it's not a complete day off. I end up writing a story and putting a couple things up. That's kind of a lighter day for me because it's the NFL off day. There's no Bengals that day to go down and cover. And I was still, I mean, listen, I was also interested in it because it, it meant something. So I watched literally every minute of that game. And it, it was, it, as for, for a guy who's not a huge soccer fan, it was highly entertaining. Are we going to talk about our media brethren, our colleagues during the World <laughs> Cup? A little of a, a few of them are over the top. I, I mean, people look, I, I get it. It's fun. I have no issue with you liking whatever you like it. That's great. Love the World Cup. Love men's soccer, all of that stuff. But do you forget that like we follow you the rest of the year, too? When you guys are trying to one up each other with these dramatic tweets like, oh, the the butterflies in my stomach are going to be vomiting for the next 45 minutes after a World Cup game is like. What are you talking about? You sound silly. We Dude, get, you I, like I, it. It's fine. You but I, like I, Listen, I'm as a as a patriot, I am certainly glad the US knocked off Iran. That would have just been awful to lose to that country. Yes. But at the same time, for me, the sun would have come up tomorrow or today, and it did. Actually, well, it really sure, did. And, and maybe it's the most and I'm glad they won. The world, I'm glad like- they went to the knockout round. I, I hope that, hell, I hope they win the whole thing. They're not going to. They're not good enough to. But hell, good for them. They got to the knockout round. It's great. But I, it was a fun game to watch. But yeah, the the drama is great. Much. But these guys say in overly embarrassing things after these World Cup games, all because they want to prove they care about soccer more than you do. They are a bigger side. Do you know how many no, you times know what, they then? watch Ted Lasso skinny? You know what, then you win. <laughs> you win. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to let you have that one chief. I mean, you, you and your mates and your lads, you guys win. You care about the pitch more than I do. I'll admit it. Go watch another, go tailgate all day and watch another nil to nil match. Like you did last week. All right. So, yeah, so to answer the question I did, I watched the whole game. Great. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it too. I thought I saw caught maybe the last 20 minutes of that too. And I thought it was entertaining when they went into the nine minutes of overage time. And uh, I mean, there, there was drama to it. There's, there, there was, there was, there was high drama, drama to it. Yeah. yeah. Does skinny appreciate the tough love Sean Miller is giving his team right now via press conference comments? <laughs> I do. I do like tough love. Listen, I, I think there are times where you know, you don't air anything to the, to the public, but if it gets to the point where you're, you don't feel like you're getting through to them behind closed doors. I, I don't mind an airing of the dirty laundry every once in a while. Yeah, and I mean, he hasn't called anyone out by name. No, he's just correct. saying they're soft. Which, right. and they, which is, he's not lying. He's no, not wrong. Defensively, they are soft. That is true. That is a yeah. fact. I mean, hell, you're seven footer. Finish at the rim, bro. Don't go one for 13. Be tough enough to finish at the rim. Yeah, it's like. And, and I like him. As, I like Jack Nungy. And he's not just, it's not just Nungy. I think it's a collective group he's talking about. But listen, go finish. 
Yeah, and I think uh, the other part of this too that people maybe sometimes forget is Sean Miller doesn't need to be worried about like his job security at Z. Correct. He's very right. confident where he's at, who he is, and and how long he's going to be there at this point. So I think he realizes he can truly be himself at this point of his career. It's not it's not the same situation that Travis Steele was just in as a new coming coach who doesn't want to constantly badmouth his team and remind everyone well, of how bad they're doing. He's trying I, to talk up the program at that point, which right. is understandable. And I mean, I would also remind fans of this. I think the, the way he's saying it, what he's saying is I think he does believe this team's pretty good. And taking that step of toughness is literally uh, uh, it's a big step to take sometimes for teams. But if that's where you're at and you're not questioning some other things, you're not in an awful place. You just need to take that next step toughness wise. Our guy goose wants to know who would win in a foot race, Sean Miller or John Calipari? Alan Cutler. Um, <laughs> um, Wait, that was Billy G, wasn't it? It was, okay. but I just want to throw Alan Cutler in there. Okay. Um, man, I, I'm going to go Sean. Has to be. He's still younger, right? Yeah, I mean, he's still younger. John's Cal, starting to look old. Yeah, Cal, Cal for the longest time, because I'd see some behind-the-scenes clips of him on occasion, would would like be watching film while on the treadmill. Yeah, but he's got a little punch to him now, a little more yeah. than Sean does. I think it's just slowed to a walk now for Cal. I don't think. Yeah, he's I mean, yeah, he's sixty years old. Yeah, yeah, I'm going Sean Miller. Sean Miller by ten yards if it's a fifty-yard dash. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, and we'll end with this one, Skinny. Rank the college, the local college arenas by best place to watch a game between Miami, Dayton, Wright State, NKU, Cincinnati, Xavier, Louisville, UK. Um, I've only been in the Yum Center once. I was a huge Freedom Hall fan. I wouldn't rank Freedom Hall one on that list. I'll give you my one here in a second. But but I, the Yum Center is okay. Um, Rupp is honestly just okay as a fan. Rupp actually kind of low-key sucks. Um, I, I'll tell you where I used to, when I was a student, um, and they obviously now have the eruption zone. We didn't have that when I was a student. But when I was a student, I used to get tickets in like the first row of the end zone. I love that view, believe it or not. Because um, because your other choices were like mid-court. I did this once I did mid court um, for Indiana, Kentucky, when Steve Alford was a freshman and Uwe Blop was playing. That'll tell you how long ago it was. So I did mid court for that. And I was second row from the top at mid court. No, 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 no dice. So that's when I started doing end zone. So I do like front row end zone, which I used to get then as a fan. I mean, as a media member, I was down on the court and then they moved us up for, uh, for the last time I covered a game, I was up and I, that was a nice view. And you know, you don't get that as a fan. Anything yeah, upper rup, rup, level rup. there is uncomfortable though. I'm kind of with you. Yeah. It, 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 it's Millet hall is bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, that's let's, the worst, let's, let's, let's start right there. Let's just start right there. Here's the bottom of the barrel. Next, next, next on the wrong, honestly, right for me would be right state. It's yeah. just a ugh, arena. Um, I don't think it's a bad place to watch a game, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the vantage points aren't awful. It's just, bleh. Rupp, I think Rupp would be next on that list. Rupp and Yum Center to me, because they're just too big, too, both too cavernous. Yeah, but Yum Center is nicer, much more comfortable, and easier access to get in, get out, all that stuff. It's Yum Center is the better experience than Rupp, for sure. Yeah, UC, I guess, would be probably in that next mix to me. Um, again, that's So do you go not- UC or do you go NKU? No, I like NKU. I like NKU too, but the only thing is NKU needs some things upgraded, like a video board. Sure. And UC has sure. that now. Sure. But that doesn't see for me, that doesn't I'm not into that. I, I know people are. I get it. For me, it's a it's a matter of comfortable comfortability as far as as where you can get a you know, you're not gonna get the front row seat. I'm just talking about a, a normal ticket seat. Yeah. 
I just don't think there's a bad seat in the, in that place. And Sintas to me, Sintas is number one for me. My my friend has season tickets. He's in the upper deck, like four or five rows up, probably about foul line extended where the visitors sit. Um, and it just it, it's, it's still just a great vantage point. You're up. I, it's a great vantage point. Are you on the side uh, by the Woods Bar or the other one? Uh, um, no, the Woods Bar. Okay, that's, well, that's, that's a, yeah. You have the bar yeah. right behind you. Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. to me is as good of a spot in an upper deck of any arena you'll ever find. I, I agree with you. Great vantage point, a spot to stand next to multiple rails. They have multiple levels of like railings Dude, with cup holders. He, he's on the aisle. We're four rows up. He's on the aisle. So if you want to pop out, you pop right down the steps. The concession stands right there or the, or the, or, or the leak room is right there. I mean, all of it's just perfectly placed. And, and just from a watching perspective, it's perfect. I mean, hell, even when they do the lineups where you, where they send the flames out, you can feel the heat of the flames up there. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, especially from the standpoint of if you're going to watch like from an upper deck, if you've got not a great ticket, but just second level deck at any of these places, Xavier has the best experience from that perspective. I did, They've by got far. multiple bars up at the top of the arena where you can get a quick drink. You can stand there and you got a great view. I, I really do think they have done an incredible job of continuing to update that place. I do too. I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think, I think, I think that's the other part. I think they've done a great job of continuing to update. I, I just don't think there's a bad seat in the house. I really don't. I haven't sat all the way up or all the way, you know, whatever, but for him, he's in the upper deck and it's perfect. I mean, perfect. Yeah. One, well, I guess part of the equation for some of these places would be, are you factoring in the environment, like the average fans that go there that would play a role in some of these certainly especially if you're talking about like the difference between nku and uc but oh, if I didn't, all fans I didn't are put, equal yeah i didn't put ud in there and i, I like the, i like ud arena i'm a big fan ud Maybe is because, actually like right after xavier I yeah say. yeah i'm I, i'm sorry i i, I think i put ud right after xavier i'm with you i've seen and part of this i've seen so many cool i mean i saw the kentucky 78 team um beat michigan state magic johnson in that arena i've seen so many great high school games in that arena I've gone up to Dayton Xavier games that have been great in that arena. I mean, so there's a I've lot. I've never of been in the there. second level there. Is it I have, comfortable? And well, I was in the second. Yeah, I was in this. Uh, a friend of a friend got got tickets. Uh, was this 1990? Maybe Maurice Brantley was playing for Xavier. That's how long ago it was. And it was a really good Xavier team and a really good UD team. And we were like second row from the top, and you kind of had to look under some some beams at that time. Um, I don't know if since they've kind of upgraded and reconfigured, if that's still the case, it was the case then, but it was still, even then it wasn't awful. It didn't feel like you were miles away from the, from the action. So I still enjoyed it. No, it's, it's top of the line too. And they have great crowds and a great atmosphere there. Yep. Dayton's a good spot to go watch a game. There's no question about that. Yeah. I'm always so busy about their city. I'm always so busy at the time of the year for the first four. I'd still love to go up to that. I, I, I kind of regret not having gone up to that, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's just a tough time of the year for us. We went, we, we went up and 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 thanks to to actually Mick Cronin got us tickets for for Murray. Uh the year Murray was up there, Michigan State was up there, Carolina was up there. God, I can't remember who else there was one other team, but it was a it was a one, you know, the first round stuff. Um and it was a great environment. So, uh, it, it is. It's just it, it yeah, it's right behind Centos Center. All right. Well, that's all I got, mate. All right, Rick, get yeah, I said, that's all I got, mate. Oh, thanks, mate. I didn't hear the mate part. I was yeah. see, see on the pitch this week. See on the pitch. See on the, the pitch. Yep, see on the pitch, lads. Uh, until <laughs> we will be back Sunday. After Which kit are you wearing this week, by the way? Are you wearing your light kit or your dark kit to, when we watch dark. the game? Dark. Okay. My dark. Yeah, I'll wear sure. my light kit then. Yeah, please do. Please do. And I'll, I'll, I'll meet you there to, for the watch party. What's the scarf thing called? Are you going to have your scarf on? 
I, yeah, I don't even know what the scarf thing's called. Okay. Shame, shame on me. I better find that out before we go watch. That's right. All right. We'll be back Sunday with the uh, Bengals postgame podcast after the Bengals take on the Chiefs. We'll be back with this podcast one week or so from today. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. <laughs>